This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. This last week, I had the privilege, the blessing of celebrating our 21st wedding anniversary. In 21 years, I celebrate the fact that I married up. And my wife tries to deny the fact that she, no, not at all, not at all. It's a delight and a joy. And so Thursday morning, the boys still had school. That was their last day of school was Thursday morning. And so, as our family habit is, we had gathered at 6.30. They had their Bibles. We were doing our reading together, and Jackson speaks up. Happy anniversary. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you. Jackson, it is right and it is good for you to celebrate. Jackson, you exist because this day happened. He's like, Jackson, you exist Because God and his providence brought your mother and I together to create family for which we're very thankful for. Jackson, you are here. All that you get to experience, all that you know, all that you delight in. Jackson, you get to have those and walk in those because of our anniversary day. Probably wasn't exactly what he was looking for or expecting when he threw out the congratulations, but never one to miss a teachable moment. You exist. You are because of this day. Did you know that? Like what? You exist. The love that you walk in, the grace that you celebrate, the faith that you practice, you have those things in overflowing abundance because of this day that we call Pentecost Sunday. You're like, yeah, I didn't I don't know, I have any idea what you're talking about, Pastor. We have to back this train up a little bit. Let me, let me walk you up to what I mean and why I'm wearing the red tie and why the red sash, why the red colors. What does it mean to say we are here as a church family walking in the faith and the abundance and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ because of Pentecost? We know Jesus, his death, We know him taking upon himself the sins and the corruption and the treason of the world. We know him being buried into the grave and three days later rising again in victory. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. We know this. We celebrate this. We sing about this. He ministers to his disciples and he gathers his people together and he commissions them and he charges them before his ascension. Hey, Linger, stay, wait, if you will, in Jerusalem until you receive power upon high. And so they do this. Apparently, they had a capacity, but not yet a capability to become Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. 
And so they linger, they stay, they gather, they pray, they rehearse the scriptures, they sing the songs, they do this for one day, they do this for five days, they do this for 10 days, they do this for 20 days, for 30 days, for 40 days. Here they are in a quiet, private upper room in the metropolis that is Jerusalem. And at that same time, what begins to gather around them in this season are faithful Jews from around the known world. For they are gathering at the temple to celebrate the high holy day that is Pentecost. The 50 days, the day of first fruits, the celebration of God's provision and the beginning of something fresh, something new. This is a high day. This is a holy day. So the Jews would travel, if you will, up from Egypt. If they lived in Egypt, they'd gather and they'd come over from Iraq, Iran. They'd come down and over from Turkey, from Macedonia, from Greece. All these languages of all these people groups, of all these nations. And the population of Jerusalem begins to swell as thousands upon thousands upon thousands of the faithful of the Jewish faith gather at the temple to give thanks, to make sacrifices, to sing songs. In the middle of all of that, a small band of 120 faithful followers of Jesus Christ are doing exactly what their king is telling them to do. You wait and you pray until you receive power upon high. They don't know when. They're just waiting. But it is upon that providential moment, that sovereign day of Pentecost, as Jerusalem has swelled its borders with all the nations of the world gathered, that Jesus Christ launches, launches with power and grace the ministry through what is now the church of Jesus Christ. You are here. You are here. 2,000 years later, because of this day, today. I had no idea. Neither did Jackson. But now you know. But let's take that a little bit deeper this morning, shall we? Take out your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you have a set of notes, if you're watching online, uh, if you received notes when you walked in, the verses that we'll be looking at are on the top of your notes. They're Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Or if you brought a copy of the scriptures, big fan, big fan. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, Turn to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts is part 2 of two scrolls, massive works that Luke the doctor had put together, commissioned by a man named Theophilus, on the story of Jesus and the story of the early church. Acts is volume two. And he picks up where Jesus' ascension takes off. We're going to start in Acts chapter two. We read verses one, two, three, and four. You follow along. Acts two, one, two, three, and four. And when the day of Pentecost, it just means 50, Arrived, they were all together in one place, all the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me read that again. You follow along in your copy or follow along up on the screen. 
Acts chapter 2, 1, 2, 3, and 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This morning, in respect and reverence to this day and this time, why don't we drill down on those few words there in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All that you are praying for. For your faith is in those eight words. All that you are hoping for your spouse is in those eight words. All that you are believing for your ministry is in those eight words. Shall we open them up? Are you with me? Yes? We ready to learn? We're going to do this? Kick the tires and light the fires? Hell hot, heaven sweet, sin black, judgment short, Jesus saves? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Let's do this. To be filled. What does that mean, to be filled? It means to be consumed with something in your entirety, in your totality. There is not one aspect of your being that this filling does not touch. To be consumed is to be filled. To be infected by, in a good way, the Holy Spirit. I stress that because there's other words in Scripture. There's other times where the word filled is used, and it means something else. A little bit earlier in another verse, it says, and the Holy Spirit filled the room that they were in. Different word in the Greek. Here, this word filled, and each of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. They were totally consumed. Every single aspect of their being was touched, infected by the Holy Spirit. Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. My wife will decorate, will decorate for Christmas, and we'll say that the room is filled with Christmas. Now that does not mean when you walk into our house that you open the front door and out rolls ton upon ton, a baton of Christmas ornaments, right? Right? It's not filled, but it's filled. You walk in and there's awareness of the presence of Christmas. Oh, Christmas has filled this space. That's a beautiful thing. In the same way that the Holy Spirit had filled the room. But here, to say that the believers, the disciples of Jesus Christ, were filled is to say that they were totally consumed with the Holy Spirit. Luke, in this book, will contrast back and forth those who are enemies of the mysteries of Jesus Christ, those who are enemies of the church, they'll be filled with other things. The Sadducees, or the high priests, or the Pharisees, or the Jews, which is a negative term used in this context. They'll be filled with rage. They'll be filled with jealousy. They'll be filled with wrath. 
I mean, have you ever met someone that was kind of furious? Oh, I'm kind of furious at you. Kid comes home, got called to the principal's office because of whatever and however. Mom, are you kind of furious? You know, I'm kind of furious. I'm kind of furious. No, to say you're furious is what? That you are totally consumed with that emotion, that feeling. It has started at the ground, and it has worked its way up through your feet. It has worked its way up through your legs. It has grabbed a hold of your bowels. It has grabbed a hold of your breathing. It has changed your facial expression. It has changed every single aspect of your being. You're not, I'm kind of furious. No, you're raging. My wife and I, we sit on the back porch. That's what my wife and I do. We sit in our back porch where our Eden is at, our little paradise in our backyard. And we're just, you know, asking questions back and forth. Sometimes questions you don't ask each other in a while. We're, hey, when was the last time you got really, really angry? And I don't, you know, I just, I'm not that way. I'm not a person to get angry. I'm not one to rage. I'm, not, I'm just not wired that way. I look that way. My voice sounds that way on the phone, right? I mean, the staff will mingle amongst themselves. Is he mad? He just looks that way. That's just, unless it's Sonia, then I'm probably mad. <laughs> not at all, not at all. I just, yeah, I just look that way. I just talk that way. Just part of the DNA of the voice that my dad gave me. I sound that way. Except a few days ago, I was mad. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. One of my sons did something, and oh, something got a hold of me. And it started in my feet, and it worked its way all the way up. And I felt things change inside. We're going from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde. We're going from Banner to the Hulk. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry kind of moment. And it was so consuming. And I was so startled by the reality. I'm talking to my wife on the phone because she, she was traveling that weekend. She was aware and we were just checking in and I'm like, and she could tell, I'm trying real hard not to engage at this emotion with my bride because that's my baby girl. She should not experience that which I'm about to do to one of my kids. I mean, we're going to go from three down to two, and she doesn't need to be consumed with that. She doesn't need to be bothered with that. And, but she could tell, and I said to this, it's like, I'm going to go kill one of them. I'm, I'm just, I'll make it quick. Are you going to die? I was consumed with this emotion. So sometimes in the gospel, in the book of Acts, Luke will use it to describe those types of emotions. But he'll also use it sometimes in a positive sense. Like, uh, when people are filled with awe or amazement, astonishment at Jesus' teachings. So they were filled with awe. They were filled with wonder. When some people bring a paralytic to Jesus to be healed and he's teaching and he heals the man and he gets up. Everyone's like, we have seen something amazing, something of wonder. They were filled with awe. It says in Luke chapter five, this is what this word means to be filled. To be totally consumed with the Holy Spirit. Not just a bit, not just on Sundays. Not just when Caleb's playing. Not just when you go to a conference. 
not just when things are bad, but every aspect of your being is infected, affected. When God has drawn close to you, it changes and transforms you. You leave different because you have become consumed by the Holy Spirit. This is what happens to the disciples in this moment. This is how the page turns, the chapter moves, and the story advances. This is why Jesus told them to wait in the upper room until you receive power upon high. They were consumed with, filled by the Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that they waited until this moment? Because it is in that moment that Jesus sends them forward in conflict to the culture around them. They are now going to advance as a subversive trafficking ministry of grace. And the world will not have them. And the world is not worthy of them. Conflict. If you're writing down words, I would write down the word consumed this morning. I would write down the word conflict as we talk about filled with the Holy Spirit. There is conflict. Because you can only be consumed with one thing. You can only be consumed with one thing. In the beginning of Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 1, he is describing the prophecy of the birth of John the Baptist. And he must not, will not, cannot drink anything of the vine. No alcohol is to come across his lips. Why? Because he is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of conflict that we're talking about. Not this so that he can that. This is describing the ministry and the devotion of what the Old Testament calls a Nazarite. A Nazarite is someone who sets themselves aside to be overflowing in the ministry of Jesus. It's a special dedication and a commitment. Not everyone does. Not everyone will. Not everyone wants to. But he is to be a set aside, a special one, like Samuel was. And so the Spirit says to his parents, hey, listen, he cannot, must not drink that. He can't be consumed with those things because he needs to be consumed with this. conflict. What some of you experience in your life, the conflict that you bump into all the time, is that the Holy Spirit would have you be consumed with him, but you're consumed with that. And the Spirit's like, I'll wait. To illustrate it another way, Jesus in his gracious ministry upon the cross been laboring hour upon hour under the curse of the torture, the torment, the mocking, hanging naked in front of the entire community of Jerusalem, Roman soldiers below. The political systems about hanging between heaven and earth bearing the full weight of our sin, our corruption, and our torment. And he says, I thirst. I thirst. 
And so a Roman soldier walks over to a bucket of sour wine. Sour wine is cheap wine. It's more like vinegar than it is wine, but it will quench the thirst. It will sustain the criminal so that he can hang upon the cross a little bit more. It will be a numbing agent, a consuming agent, a conflicting agent. And so the Roman soldier reaches down, grabs a sponge, and it says, fills the sponge, consumes the sponge with the sour wine, and takes it to Jesus, that Jesus would take it in. Jesus takes upon himself all the sour wine so that you can walk free, filled in the Holy Spirit. And yet some of us choose to soak in the sour wine rather than to walk in the Spirit. And so, you might give yourself over to something that is sinful. Sinful as in, I can take chapter, I can take verse, I can point to word, and you'd be like, yep, that's the one. And it consumes you. It consumes you. It controls you. It numbs you. Some of the choices are sinful, but some of the choices are just silly. They're just silly, okay? I can't go to chapter. I can't go to verse. I can't do that. But if we're having an honest conversation, it's a silly choice. When you could choose this, you're choosing that. Instead of walking in and being saturated in the gracious, loving, faithful relationship with Jesus through his Holy Spirit, you're going to choose that. Like, really? Okay. But there's the conflict because you can only be filled with one thing at a time. May I ask you a question? Are you still here? Are we still good? Walmart list, I got you back. Candy Crush? All right. Is it okay for a follower of Jesus Christ to be filled with anything other than the Holy Spirit? Is it okay? Is it okay for the follower of Jesus Christ to be consumed by anything other than the Holy Spirit. I would say that's pretty sinful. That we would let anything dominate our thinking, our hours, our time, our spending that we would give room to anything or would want anything more than that which is the Holy Spirit. That which Jesus says, wait for this. Wait for this. We're so used to having Amazon there at the next day and Amazon bring it and Amazon deliver it and we ask for God to fill and to move us, and God doesn't show up, so we just move on. Conflict. We can expect conflict. 
Why? Because it's the spirit that makes us capable. It's the spirit that makes us capable. Jesus in his gift, in his sacrifice, sets aside and consecrates those who have a capacity for. And it's the Holy Spirit coming that makes us capable to do that which the kingdom of God needs and wants. That which God has destined you for. There's a difference between capability and capacity. Capability and capacity. Let me unpack that a little bit because if it's confusing to me, I can't imagine what it's like for you. Okay? Baby girl's like, yeah. My car has a capacity. I'm not talking about the broken one that doesn't work. Okay? Still doesn't work. It has a capacity to hold eight people in it. That's what it can do. You can put eight people in there. There is space for that. There is space for that. But when it, that car came here this morning, it just had me in it. It just had me in it. We're not fighting. It's all good. She's, she comes in another car with, she normally picks up friends and all, to bring in, yeah, so I come in by myself, okay? You have the capacity for, that does not mean that you are capable to yet. The Holy Spirit is the, that which made the disciples capable of doing what? Well, in this context, it says that they were able to then to speak in foreign languages. Other languages that they did not know. Remember, it's God's intention, Jesus' intention, that you'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the world. That means you need to be able to speak languages that are in Judea, and languages in Samaria, and languages that are in the uttermost parts of the world. We're just from Galilee. We, got, we can do Aramaic, we can do little old Hebrew, maybe some trade Greek, but that's about it. How are we going to get it to Egypt? How are we going to get it to Macedonia? How are we going to get it up around to France? If you, how are we going to get to How are we going to get the gospel to those places? We're set aside to do those things, but we lack the capability of doing those things. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and what are they able to do? Speak foreign languages that they had not learned or known before. So now we can bring the gospel to Egypt and now we can bring the gospel to Iraq and Iran and we can bring the gospel to Macedonia and over to Spain because the Holy Spirit makes us capable. You feel stuck in your faith. You feel like you're in a holding pattern. You feel like you're waiting. You feel like you're longing. You feel like You'd like to get to the next page, the next chapter, but there's this wall, there's this ceiling, there is this, you, you have the capacity but not the capability. Maybe it's the marriage, maybe it's at work, maybe it's your relationships in your neighbor. You know that God wants to manifest in more ways than just merely what you're doing now. The difference is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The difference is the filling of the Holy Spirit. No wonder conflict. No wonder Satan at every turn through his little Roman soldier minions offers you the sour wine at every possible moment. Because if you're filled with this, you won't want to be filled with that.
And so while some of you have been soaking in the sour wine, it's time for a, a holy hangover. It's time that by God's grace, you get so sick in your stomach by what you have been taking in and what you have been choosing, and what you have saturated your life and your marriage and your workplace and your neighborhood, and that you get so sick to your stomach. You're like, I'm done. I'm done with that. I want what the Holy Spirit has set aside for me. I'm choosing a faith of vibrance and victory. I'm choosing a marriage of grace and kindness and love. I'm choosing a ministry by which we can go from where we are to where we need to be. What does this look like corporately? What does this look like corporately? For a while, for seven years, we have tarried and labored to lay a foundation, a foundation that is none other than Jesus Christ. For a wise man builds his house upon a rock. Amen, right? You gotta build a foundation. You gotta build the foundation. You gotta do that. But at some point you're like, okay, that's the foundation. It's time to build on, right? And so we have said until a house on a rock becomes a city on a hill. I'm ready for the city on a hill part. I'm ready for that part. I'm praying for that part. We know the foundation that is Jesus Christ. But what is it that defines a city upon a hill? It's that radiant, glowing, powerful light, manifest presence of God that transforms lives. That's what it's time for. We have the capacity. God, by his grace, through his spirit, make us capable. Make us capable. Oddly enough, this is the common experience for a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We might say, and you can follow this through the Gospels. Oh, you'll talk about Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and preaches to the masses. You're like, yep, that's Pete, man. That's Pete's job. Pete will do that. That's, that's what Pete does. Pete, filled with the Holy Spirit. You see Paul, Paul in the presence of idolatry. He's like, he starts to get this vein that pops out of his brain, right? In the midst of sinfulness and idolatry, and Paul just goes at it. Not this Paul, the Apostle Paul. I'd love to be this Paul. Whoo! Oh, yeah. Okay? But no, 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 no. He gets up and he's swinging for the, he's just letting them have it. Filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you can see those elite ones. That makes sense. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just a low worker bee. I'm just a little drone. I'm just ant on the ground. I'm just, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Or you see highlighted uh, people like Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? You're like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, those are the ones who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you have this moment in Acts chapter 2 where it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then again in Acts chapter 4, and praying, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with boldness. All, all the followers, all the disciples. This is the common experience of a follower of Jesus Christ, being consumed with the presence and manifest power of the Holy Spirit. It's common in Scripture. But our problem is to become so uncommon. 
with my father, who I miss dearly. His last few years were spent in a hospital bed. Unable to move. Unable to get up. Apart from a Hoyer and a whole lot of help. Could not stand in a shower. Could not get himself to the bathroom. My father's common, normal experience was to be bedridden. Now you, even though you might not be medically trained, medically enabled, would still walk in and see my father and say, that's not normal for a human being. Right? Are you with me? You would look at my father with pity and grief and say, there is so much more that he could do. That's not normal. Even though for him, that had become his normal existence. We must understand that the historical church and the global church looks upon the American church and says, that's not normal. But oh, sad, how common it's become. That the American church has such capacity for grace and such capacity for healing and such capacity for glory and such capacity for the gospel, yet is so incapable at manifesting the might of God. But for us, it's just a normal Sunday. be consumed with. And so what do we do? Where do we go? What happens? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe a good place to start is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7, where Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Cookies on the bottom shelf. That's how I roll, right? Amen? Well, if we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there any provision for that in Scripture? Yeah, it actually says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be consumed by, let the Holy Spirit saturate our thinking and our walking and our praying and our talking. Let it saturate our ministry. Let's come before God in a spirit of contrition in prayer and let the Spirit dominate. Says, Don't be drunk on wine, that's drunkenness. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So every morning, I come before God. And the first thing I do is I ask God to teach me to number my days, that I might gain a heart of wisdom, that today would count. It's the first thing I ask him to do. I draw near to him. He draws near to me. The next thing I do is I set apart my heart and recognize Jesus Christ as my Lord. That's the second thing that I do. And the third thing I do, I ask that the Holy Spirit would cultivate and consume me with his presence. 
that he would grow and cultivate within me a character that manifests, manifests the gospel. It manifests in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, self-control that manifests the gospel. However he sees fit. And some of you are seeing and feeling that tug upon your soul even now. And so what do you do? I think there's a couple of things. There's a positive and there's a negative. The positive, the positive movement is this. You're going to come forward after the gathering and you're going to ask for prayer. In the same way that the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, hey, you fan that gift of flame that you received when I laid hands upon you. Because how does a fire spread? It spreads from one to another, one to another, one to another, one to another. It's the positive and the negative is you're going to leave behind, you're going to leave away that which is in conflict. Paul, would you please pray for me? I've become consumed with this. Paul, would you pray for me? I've become consumed with this. Paul, would you pray for me? I've been consumed by this. And God in his grace and his majesty, because you know this is what he wants, for we're more than conquerors for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? It's not God's intention that you be useless in your neighborhood. It's not God's intention that you be useless at work. It's not God's intention that you be useless before your children and useless in your marriage. It's God's intention that you manifest the power of God, the kind of power that goes from dead to alive, not from alive to dead. And so we pray, and so we seek. We fan that gift of flame. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our Hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.